Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor Podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Taddy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today in the show, I'm answering your questions about how to clean your penis and genitals in general, and is it possible for women and men to be friends? Or really, be friends with anyone of the gender we are attracted to? And lastly, what does it mean for bisexuals? Can we be trusted to have any friends at all? I also share my interview with bisexual content creator Marcus Territory. Marcus and I get into all things bi, such as, is it harder to come out as bi as a man? And what sort of assumptions have people made when they find out you're bi? But first, today in sex. It's anal August. And if you follow any other sex educators or influencers, you will probably see them posting about butt plugs and strap-ons, pegging, and the importance of lube. I'm just going to underpin that real quick. Lube is your friend, and the anus does not self-lubricate. Oh, and also, anything that goes in the butt has to be either attached to a person, i.e. finger, penis, etc., or have a flared base. You don't want to be that person who has to go to the emergency room to get something removed, and you might be surprised at how often that happens. But why do we need a whole month to talk about anal? And why do we still associate it primarily with gay sex between men? Well, as stated by Natasha from Good Vibrations, who was running an anal sex workshop at Harvard University, not all men have penises, and not all women have vaginas. The butthole is a great sexual equalizer. All humans have a butthole. And even though we all have a butthole, a lot of folks are still pretty squeamish about any mention of anal sex or butt play. We are stuck in the narrative that the only real form of sex is the penis and vagina sex. But we know, you and I, that sex is about a lot more than just that. And anal sex can be pleasurable and a valid form of sexual expression for folks of all different sexual orientations. This is not a PSA telling all of you to head out there and start having anal sex right now, because realistically, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But if what is holding you back is all of the myths about anal sex being painful or messy, then I encourage you to learn more about it and check out the Anal Sex 101 resource that I have linked in the episode description. Now, the other thing I want to say about anal sex is that it has been highly stigmatized, and to this day, there are still places that have sodomy laws that prohibit unnatural or immoral sexual acts. By that, they mean anal sex and oral sex. And these sodomy laws have been used to discriminate against queer folks in a wide variety of ways. Now, for example, here in Canada, the legal age of consent for sex is 16. But up until 2019, only two years ago, the legal age of consent for anal sex was 18. This difference between regular sex, i.e. the penis and vagina sex, and anal sex continues to perpetuate the idea that anal sex is other and wrong, and that vaginal intercourse is the only natural form of sex. Now, there's a buttload more to be said about anal sex, and not enough time in this episode to get into it. But I'm curious to know, what questions do you have about it? And if you have a question, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. And now, let's get to your calls. Hi, Leah. Thanks for making the podcast. I just have a question on how do you wash your dick? <laughs> you know, it's kind of embarrassing to ask, but I've just become a bit more 
cognizant around how that area smells and comes off, especially if someone wants to perform oral. And I remember the one day I just decided, you know what, let me just roll down and try and clean and <laughs> turned out there was like five years of dick cheese and then noticed I was kind of bleeding a bit, but now it's fine. Sorry, this is a bit too much, but it's not really the sort of thing you learn or anyone tells you how to, but is there a way of um, cleaning a penis, particularly an uncircumcised one? Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable and sending in this question, because this is information that we all deserve to know, but rarely get taught. So we teach kids about washing under their armpits and between their toes, but what about our genitals? They are a part of our body, and learning how to take care of our bodies, it shouldn't be a shameful discussion. So what you have experienced is the buildup of smegma, which is totally normal for genitals. It's usually a mix of dead skin scales with oil and fluids produced by genitals, which is, again, super normal. And by washing regularly, and that doesn't mean like vigorously scrubbing, just like regular, gentle washing of your genitals, then you can avoid the buildup of smegma. Now, you also don't need to buy special soaps, despite companies trying to sell them to you. If you have sensitive skin, and the skin of our genitals, it's definitely more sensitive than the rest of the skin on our bodies, then I recommend an unscented and gentle soap, either bar, liquid soap, whatever works for you. Again, this doesn't mean washing your hair or your torso and then like rinsing and hoping that the soap running down your body will clean your genitals. You actually need to touch your genitals, know what they look and feel like, and clean them with soap and water. So for folks with penises that are uncircumcised, it's important to pull back the foreskin and make sure you're also cleaning under there as well. The foreskin and the tip of the penis are sensitive, so don't feel like you need to like scrub or exfoliate, but make sure it gets fully soaked up and rinsed thoroughly. And for folks with clitorises, especially if folks have a more prominent clitoral hood that covers the clitoris, it can also be important to gently move the clitoral hood back and clean the clitoris. And if you wanted a quick and dirty anatomy refresher, the clitoris is homologous to the penis and the clitoral hood is homologous to the foreskin, meaning they're made of the same tissues, but they're just configured in different ways. Now, there's also something really important I want to stress, though, and this is particularly for folks with vulvas and vaginas. You do not need to wash inside your vagina. Do not. The vagina is self-cleaning, and putting soaps inside the vagina can disrupt the pH balance, so please don't worry about washing the vagina. This is about cleaning our external genitals, and we definitely shouldn't be using vaginal douches or chemicals, soaps, cleansers, whatever, inside our bodies. Washing the vulva and the external genitals, meaning they're outside of our body and not inside, with gentle soap and water is great. And just like penises and all sorts of configurations of genitals, we want to wash regularly, meaning a couple times a week, and there's no need to scrub or buy special soaps. What I really think is underpinning this, though, is a feeling that we shouldn't look too closely at our genitals and we definitely shouldn't touch them. That's BS. It's your body and it's your right to know how to look after it. We were taught how to brush our teeth and to comb our hair, and cleaning our genitals should be no different. As always, I've shared some great resources from Scarletine in the episode description. Let's take another call. 
Hey, I just listened to your latest podcast episode and you asked if we were interested in an episode about how boys and girls can be friends. And I just wanted to say, I'd love to hear what science has to say about that. Also, let me just say, if it wouldn't be possible to be just friends with someone of a gender you are attracted to, wouldn't that mean that we bisexuals couldn't have friends at all? I've thought about this question a lot, especially since I grew up surrounded by a lot of male friends and still have a lot of them now. In fact, one of my dearest friends, Darren, who has been in my life for almost 25 years, is a man, and he ended up introducing me to Levi and officiating our wedding. So yes, men and women can be friends, and it's really more complex than that when we think about our gender identity and our sexual orientation. But ironically, the research that I read indicates that one of the benefits of friends is that they can introduce us to potential mates. So was that the reason that I became friends with Darren when we were five? Yeah, probably not, but I will say it definitely worked out for me. So thanks, bud. So let's look at what the research says. I want to highlight that a lot of it is about opposite sex friendships between heterosexual men and women. So keep that in mind. And as with any friendship, there are costs and benefits of being in that relationship. Do you support each other? Do you celebrate each other in your achievements? Do you share similar interests and hobbies or feel seen and heard by them? Or do you fear their judgment? Do you feel belittled or bullied by them? Do they demand a lot of you? These are important considerations in all relationships in our lives and can definitely get more complicated when sex may or may not be on the table or is desired by one friend and not the other. Now, one of the primary things that came up in the studies I read talked about the sexual and or romantic attraction that one friend may have for another. But what's interesting is that in the studies, it was more likely for men to think of this as a benefit of a friendship, whereas women saw it as a cost. Now, this study is from 2005, and of course, folks can feel that sexual attraction is both a cost and a benefit of a friendship. I don't want to play into gender stereotypes because a big part of why I do this podcast is try and hold space for us to question the assumptions we make about sexuality and gender. But it's also important to note that in one study, the benefits of self-disclosure and companionship was rated as a higher benefit than sex for men in friendships with women. And we cannot ignore the fact that many of us live in a patriarchal society where men's sexual desires are valued more highly than women's, where men are socialized to pursue sex as a part of proving their masculinity and women to safeguard their virtue as a part of their femininity. And lastly, that the only socially acceptable way for men to talk about their feelings is with women. Now, I hope you know that I think this is bogus, but doesn't deny the fact that this is what we've been spoon-fed our whole lives about how men and women are supposed to behave. So it doesn't surprise me at all that men seek out friendships with women so they can express their emotions in a relatively safe way they are told that they cannot do with other men. This is on top of the fact that we may perceive friendly interactions differently. More often, men perceiving women's friendliness as a sexual invitation, and less likely but still happens, with women perceiving men's sexual interest as friendship. What I really think it comes down to is clear communication about boundaries. In any relationship, we have boundaries, but we're often not taught how to communicate them and be explicit in what we are comfortable with. Are we looking for a friends with benefits situation or a platonic friendship? Are we open to seeing how that may evolve over time? And if there is sexual tension or attraction in a relationship, how does that impact our relationship status? And lastly, 
what sort of patriarchal gender expectations are playing out in our friendships that maybe muddy the waters and obscure our true feelings when we come up against these social norms? Now, I'll be honest, I love having an innocent flirt with my friends, and that is with my friends of all genders. Is that because I'm bisexual? Maybe, but it probably has more to do with how I interact with my friends and how we show our affection and intimacy with each other. And really, caller, you've hit on one of the main concerns people have about either being friends or being in partnerships with someone who is bisexual. The myth is that we can't be trusted because we're attracted to everyone and we're so sexually insatiable. The truth is, is that we're people. And being bisexual doesn't make us more or less trustworthy as friends or as partners. Now, Marcus and I get into this in our interview about the myths and misconceptions that we've heard about being bisexual and how being bi is just one aspect of our identity. It won't tell you whether or not we'll make good friends. Now, I've shared the research articles I read as well as some excellent resources about bisexual myths. And before we get into my interview with Marcus, I'm going to share a review. Just a reminder that if you like this podcast, leaving a review or five stars really helps it grow and reach more people. And people who have reviewed the podcast, I appreciate you and thank you so much. So this is a review from KitKat2695. They give the podcast five stars and have titled their review, Great Resources, Engaging Topics. Love Leah and the guests she brings on. This podcast is smart, informed, and well-researched. Great for adults and young folks looking to learn more. Thank you so much, KitKat, and I hope you enjoy this latest guest, Marcus Territory. Hi, Marcus. How how are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. It was such a, a whirlwind thing where I was like on TikTok and you showed up on my feed and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm into this dude's content. Like, okay. And then I, I totally went down a rabbit hole. I'm not going to lie. I watched a lot of your stuff. I love that. Depen- depending on how, you, how deep you go, that is a significant rabbit hole to fall down. My content is just like, oh, okay, let's load up a shotgun and fire it at a wall and see what works. <laughs> no, it was it was so great, I think, to to get that mix of like your um, political perspective on things as a fellow Canadian. It's always interesting to kind of get into that dialogue. But uh, what really intrigued me was the fact that you're a bi guy and we just don't hear from a lot of bi men openly talking about that. So I wonder if you could talk a bit maybe about when did you know that you were bi and, you know, what what was that like coming out for you? Don't have to get too personal, but what what was that like? Yeah, no, it's fine. It's it's an odd duck of my being bi because it it was a very – I didn't have that big, uh, you know, classic movie scene of like sit down with the parents and tell them bi and they accept it. They just – uh, we both just kind of figured it out with time. Um, I knew I was attracted to men probably uh, before I was, while I was still a minor, um, and and kind of just attracted to everybody. Um, but like specific, like you know, I hadn't been exposed to a lot of non-binary people yet, and all that. So it was mostly just I knew I wanted to sleep with more than one gender, and I I. Don't remember the first time I called myself anything other than straight. I I know I did at some point, obviously, but I don't remember the exact time. I know I started sleeping with men before I did with women. Uh, and I know that it was always just a subtle feeling in the back of my head. Um, and I, you know, sometimes it can change from hour to hour, day to day, certainly from person to person, how attracted to men versus women I am or any proportion of the same. 
I knew that I, I think the first time I started actually calling myself anything other than straight was heteroflexible because that felt the most accurate to me. And also because the pun is fucking a game and it is still probably technically the most accurate for me. I tend to lean more towards women than men. Um, but again, it changes a lot depending on the person and day. And then after a while, I, I, I had a bit of a bit where I tried out queer. Yeah. It felt too like a sort of a, eh, whatever. I'll just call myself anything. And then that didn't just, it just, <laughs> after a while, it just became, you're not, you're not actually conveying information um, for me at least. <laughs> uh, and I think I settled on pi mostly because of the two arguments eventually won out for me. It's that one, it's that if you are, if you are attracted to um, any gender other than your own period, I think you can make the argument that you're bi on some level. I, it certainly doesn't require a 50, 50 split if we even accept the gender binary. Um, and it's certainly, uh, and like I said, you can vary from however much, uh, however much you're attracted to any given gender on any given day and from person to person. And the other is that it was just, I got sick of explaining it. Uh, everybody knows what bisexual means. It is just not something that needs further elaboration. And honestly, I'm, I am linguistically lazy as we all should be. It conveys information faster. And I think that's ultimately what made me settle on it. That was probably um, the period from which I was calling myself heteroflexible was probably early university. So when I was 18, 19 to, it was quite a while. I think it was probably 24, no, 23. Early 20s is when roughly I made that switch. And for, for as far as I've been on TikTok, I pretty much identify as bisexual. So it's been longer than that, but not a whole lot longer, a year or two at most. But yeah, it's ultimately it just fell down to how I wanted to talk about my sexuality in a way that just conveyed as much information as I thought was necessary. And that's for all intents and purposes, what most people need to know is that I'm attracted to more than one gender and that, yeah, it's not that it's not the most interesting thing about me. So I'm pretty much done focusing on it uh, <laughs> as far as my own mental development goes. It's like this, this, we've pushed this as far as it can go. Yeah. You're like, I've done a lot of my own work, like questioning and thinking about this. And now I need to convey information. And like you said, unless it's someone that you're going to be in like a sexual or romantic, like partnership or experience with someone, what do people really need to know? They don't really need to know. I'm like, well, unless you're literally going to be intimate with me, you don't need to know much else than this word because it doesn't pertain exactly. to you. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, for casual conversation purposes, I've heard that it's rude to take your pants off. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we can just leave it there. Yeah, we'll leave it there. You know, I really like that you um, that you mentioned talking about, I get this question from a lot of folks about, am I actually bisexual? Because I don't think it's a 50-50 split. And like you said, it's, it's beyond a gender binary. People are like, oh, well, if I'm attracted to women, let's say 75% of the time and men or non-binary folks or whichever, only 25% of the time, am I actually bi? I'm like, well, we don't have like a number of like, you have to have a certain amount. Like, it's not like one of those scale things that make, you have to play perfectly balanced and then you get to be bisexual. Exactly. Like there, there is no, there's no fucking like gender. There's no bouncer at the gender door carding you over how much you're going to like, well, how much do you like this versus this? <laughs> I cannot think, I've, I've said this before, I've, I cannot think of a decision more personal than who you are personally attracted to and who you want to sleep with. And you are the, you are the arbiter of that decision. No one gets to call you on it. Like, I think at a certain point, it might be incumbent on you. It's like, well, am I confusing people? 
but that's like it that's a very different question than like whether you know whether is it any specific percentage you might have of being attracted to women versus men versus non-binary people et cetera et cetera that's that that is a purely aesthetic difference rather than the more existential question of how do I personally want to identify? And you're the only one who can answer that question. And I say no one else has any right to interfere in that question. Hmm, that's excellent. Well, there's there's kind of two things that I want to ask you about right now. I think the the first thing is, you know, as as a man, do you think it's harder to like come out as bi or to be um, talking about your sexuality in, that isn't in that binary of like straight or gay? Do you think that's easier than than say like women like for myself being bi? What was obviously you can't speak about my experience, but as a man, what do you think? Yeah, well, with within that constraint, uh, in that I only have my own perspective. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. I think it's uh, I, and again, I don't know. Maybe I'm off base. And like a lot of bi women have very different challenges than I had. And I also I I got really lucky. I had parents who accepted who I was, um, more or less at face value. Uh, they've never judged me for it. They have never said anything discriminatory, even indirectly. Um, and I grew up in a pretty liberal city. I grew up in Toronto, which, uh, you know, and my university was three blocks away from the gay village. Like <laughs> I had no shortage of of uh, being accepted and all that. And yet, even within that framework, it's very it was hard for me to accept the bi label. And I think I wouldn't be uh, being intellectually honest with myself if I said that I was not calling myself bi originally because the label made me a bit uncomfortable um, because it wasn't specifically bi, but admitting that you are attracted to men is like, we all know this, it's not seen as masculine and it's not presented as something to aspire to even now. And certainly, even though like there's a bit of a, uh, there's a delayed effect, if you will, where I grew up in the early 2000s, I grew up in the late nineties where, you know, there was being gay was like being was obviously being much more accepted and you know there was plenty of stuff on tv about it but but overall it was still portrayed as a negative characteristic for men even well into my teens uh like there were still plenty of shows that framed effeminate characters or gay characters as being weaker or or just or at least being different not even necessarily weaker just very different than stereotypically masculine characters and that has an effect on how people develop and it burned into me, and I think it burned into a lot of bi men who are now reckoning with themselves, that this is something that if you, even if it's not necessarily negative, it is something that marks you out as different. And that's a very powerful force to overcome. Because difference itself, even if we can't avoid it as being like a sexual minority, is a powerful feeling. It, it makes you feel as a member of the out group. Um, and I think part of the reason why I called myself heteroflexible for so long, even if it was more technically accurate, is because I didn't feel comfortable with that. And reckoning with that is something that I think all blind men go through. And it's programming that's very deeply embedded. Like it's just, it's a, it's a lot of very subtle messaging. It's a lot of messaging that we get through media and through how people talk uh, about bisexuality and men, homosexuality and men that just frames it as, if not inferior, then at least different and not in a good way. And that's programming that you have to override. And I, again, within my constraints, I don't think that's there, at least not in the same way for women. You know, by women has, we don't get, we do not get, it's just a phase. We get, you're a gay man hiding your identity. And that is, again, they're oppressive in different ways. 
but ours is more permanent in the sense that it is, you are denying something about yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and therefore the part of parts of us that want to be normal, don't want to identify with that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a different, it's a different kind of oppression, if you will, but it is a, it is a very real force and it's, it's subtly pervasive throughout all the culture. Well, I think what, yeah, what you've really touched on there is our societal expectations around masculinity, because as soon as you give up the straight card, if you say, okay, well, I'm not straight, you you have created the category of other, and now you are a part of that. That's a, in a, you know, very straight dominant world. And if you can pass as straight, that's a hard privilege to give up because now you're always fighting for that space in the world. And I think that's where a part of patriarchy is really a messed up system for all of us. Like it is, it is more oppressive for women than men, but it doesn't mean that men aren't also oppressed by this really shitty system that says you have to behave in this way. And if you don't, you're not really a man. And people who are listening, you know that I have my bunny ears up. I, I use them a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and a hundred percent. And, and like, this is why, like, and for the record, obviously patriarchy exists and, and we can hold two thoughts in our head at once. It can be bad for women and bad for men in very different ways to varying levels. Uh, and this is one of the ways that it especially hurts LGBTQ men because it just, it's pervasive and it seeps into areas where you wouldn't expect. And even though we're a member of the dominant uh, gender class, gender group, it still comes out in weird ways and it still affects how we develop and how we teach our kids and how we convey messages to each other. Um, and like, obviously the vast majority of it isn't intentional. It's just how society, how culture has evolved and how we talk about it, but it has very real downstream effects. And to the degree that I don't think like you don't see the effects of it for 10 years, 20 years, um, because the kids to you are communicating Adults can let messages fall off their back to a certain extent. Kids can't. They just grow up in that in that sphere, in that pond. And eventually, they're going to grow up. And they're going to carry what they learned in the pond with them out into the world. It's, if, if you let them grow up in that, kind of, in that kind of patriarchal system that talks about uh, homosexuality and bisexuality and men like that, they're just going to wind up a little screwed up. Yeah. They're like sponges when they're younger too, right? And that's, I think, what I what comes up so often from folks and the, the root of so many of the questions that people send in to me on this podcast is, am I normal? And the other thing is, how do I unlearn all of this baggage and shit that my family, my culture, my religion has taught me about my body, about my identity, gender, sexuality, and otherwise. So I, I think you're right. Like it's, it almost becomes a prerogative of like your twenties onwards. First, you have to unlearn and then you can start figuring out, okay, well, who the hell am I if I get rid of all of this other like noise and baggage? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And you touched on straight passing, uh, as well, where I have that, I've got that privilege too. I got that going for me where I, I don't look particularly gay. I have a deep voice. I present very masculine and I, and that affords me a lot of fucking privilege, not in every scenario, but in most of them. And that, and it's another area in which it's an odd cognitive dissonance for me to face because I know that I got all these things that like, I'm, I'm rocking a privileged Royal flush over here. If it wasn't for the buy card, which is invisible, I still feel everything I feel, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, why are you complaining? You have all this other stuff going for you. Both can be true at once. Neither erases the other. And yeah, yeah, to any like 
find that out there, your feelings are very real. And it doesn't matter what anyone says about that. That It doesn't matter if you're a man in a patriarchal system. It doesn't matter if you're white or cis or present straight. Those feelings still exist. Mm-hmm. And you should acknowledge them. Yeah. Well, and I think if you were hearing from more men who, as you said, who are a part of like dominant culture or holding a lot of power, if they're the ones saying, oh, yeah, absolutely, I have all of this privilege, but I want you to know that I am bi. And I think getting outside of that, maybe those constraints, I think is a lot of time is if, if as someone who, you know, as, as a white woman being cis, like I hold a lot of power. And if I can say, you know, I can take this space and I'm not worried about my safety when I'm telling people that I'm bisexual, well, maybe I can make the world a little bit safer for people who don't have those same privileges. So it's huge when, again, when I go on TikTok or things like that, and I see folks who, like yourself, have that privilege, but are still being like open and vulnerable and saying, this is who I am. And all of these things can coexist. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And same to you. And like, I'm I'm not going to pretend that like I'm out here, like just existing as a radical act because like, for for, mo- for most of my day, it isn't. I'm not discriminated against for like, I, obviously, by other by men are in very different circumstances. But in my everyday life in a wealthy country, middle class, yada, 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 I don't face any discrimination based on who I am. And I'm not going to pretend like it's some kind of radical act to me just existing on TikTok. But I am glad that I can provide that to people who do just need that example and who and for whom visibility is just a the act of visibility alone does actually help them. That's great. I, I, it is not specifically what I'm there for, but I'm very grateful that people get that from me. And I'm more than happy to provide it to them by talking about this kind of stuff publicly because it, yeah, it, it's, it's very deep. Like I said, we're all instilled like this in, as kids or as teenagers when we are at our most formative. And it's something that takes years in therapy and self examination to unwind and just seeing. Just seeing other people having dealt with their shit or (laughs) I haven't dealt with my shit, but mostly having dealt with their shit gives is a good uh, is a good thing to do is a good template to set. Uh, And I'm happy to do that. So was that a part of why you decided to uh, create specific content on TikTok, like about being bi? And you have lots of other different things on your channels as well. Like that's not the only thing. But was that a part of it, of trying to have that representation or just it was something interesting you wanted to share. Like, how did that come to be? It was definitely something more interesting I wanted to share. I mean, I think however interesting your sexuality is, is kind of a loaded question because like it's objectively speaking, it's not that interesting. We're all into something like it. <laughs> this is something literally everyone has. It's just how you do with it and how you and how you project it, how you manage it and talk about it. Um, I thought I could talk about it in a way that was at least unique to me and more to the point that I wasn't seeing anywhere else. A lot of what most people think of when they think of men who like other men is a very classically flaming effeminate gay men. And like, that's a perfectly valid way to live your life. It is not how I want to live mine. And it's not how I, it's just not how I naturally present myself. I want to see more by men like me. I want to see more gay and by men in all their different shapes because diversity is pretty much always a great thing. Yeah. If nothing else, it's a good fucking color palette. And I would love to just see more of those. I And I just wanted to, I just wanted to exist in a way that both made me happy and gave a a better representation of what my bisexuality means for me. 
Um, and again, it's not a radical act. It wasn't anything me. I wasn't trying to make a political statement. It was just something I don't see this thing. I would like to see this thing. I am this thing. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> and it, it, and I was actually very surprised. I, I didn't think, I didn't think that my way of doing bisexuality, me living my life was unique, uh, or at least provided a, a, a crazy revelatory model, but I've received a lot of messages, mostly from women granted, but from a lot of men too. I remember most of the bi men who have messaged me, uh, and I, if not their names, then at least their stories. And it, it's honestly very touching. I, I just didn't know that, like there were that many out there who, who thought they could take an example from me. And I'm really happy with that. Yeah. Well, it's amazing you can create that space for it too. And like you said, when it's something of you're just sharing your own lived experience, it's not like you're getting up on the soapbox and saying, you know, like, by rights, this is this is what I exist for. It's just saying, this is who I am. And this is a valid identity. And in some ways, even just holding that space, you're creating the room that wasn't available for many of us. Like we're around the same age, but you know, like it wasn't available to us when we were growing up. Like as teenagers, and even as you know, in my early twenties, I didn't see any representation of people who were bi, much less men who were bi. And so it's just amazing to be able to to see that and to be able to hold that space for people to say, oh, there are lots of ways to be in the world, and all of them are valid. Let me just hold that space for you. Yeah, and it's. And I, you know, I, I say that it's not a radical act and stuff, but it is, it is a political statement to an extent that, like you said, that I, I honestly do not remember a single bisexual man who appeared on TV uh, in any public way growing up, or at least not one that I, I was coded as bisexual. It was always just like, it's weird. It's weird to say. It's more like here's a man who happens to be gay, but also not. But the connection wasn't made between that and bisexuality, if that makes any sense. So yeah, just it's it's not a radical act, but it, existing, yeah, like you said, it just provides another example of it in a way that uh, yeah, in a way that pushes things hopefully forward for some people. Absolutely. Well, and there's there's one of your TikToks that I kind of want to mention as well, where you talk about biphobia, and someone sends you a question, and what's interesting is you're talking about how you've mainly experienced it from women, because that's you know, who you've, you know, been in relationships with. And again, not getting into any of like your sexual past or history, because that's not my business. But I'm interested to know, like, it's, I guess, vastly different from my own experience, where I felt it a lot of biphobia from men who were like, oh, well, she's just doing it to be edgy, or she's in denial, she's actually a lesbian. So I've always felt very uh, accepted and seen by other women. I've always felt very supported by by women in, in my sexual identity and who I am. So what what has that been like for you of how how are you receiving that biphobia from like women? Like what does that kind of look like? Yeah, the video you're talking about is um yeah, with a caveat obviously that I've mostly dated and slept with women. Not to an a majority. Uh I wouldn't call it like it's certainly not an overwhelming majority. Um but it's with that caveat, yes, I have mostly experienced it from women. And uh, like I said in that video, I think the most blatant is when I was told by a partner of mine that she wasn't sure if she was comfortable sleeping with me because I'd slept with other men before. I didn't process that as biphobia at the time because I didn't call myself bisexual. Uh, I, I kind of processed it, as, if I remember right, I kind of processed it as odd. And granted, that was a that was a weird relationship for a hundred different reasons. But um, 
either way, I didn't have the presence of mind to put my foot down there. And I absolutely should have for the record. Any guys listening to that, that's fucking horse shit. Don't listen to that. That's you. They are not worth your time, but um, usually it's more subtle. And I say that it's, uh, I say that I get it from women more than men, because in my experience, like a lot of bi men think that, or, or at least a lot of uh, the culture in general thinks that gay panic or, or men reacting to other men's perceived homosexuality or bisexuality is very aggressive and very immediate. Like if I tell another man I'm bi, he's going to immediately back away from me or kill me. Obviously that's an exaggeration, but that is the vast majority of cases that we tend to hear about and tend to think about when you hear straight men talking to a gay man or whatever. Mostly I haven't experienced that. Most, uh, most men I've seen, even ones that I have slept with have been, if not totally comfortable with, and at least understand my bisexuality, mostly because they tend to be gay themselves and they get that, like they, this is just a thing. They, it's just a different shape of, of something. It is a partly different shape of something that they've experienced and they get, they get, they get the, uh, the discrimination there for most women. It is, it comes in the form of microaggressions. It comes in the form of, uh, subtle comments more than once. I've had like the tone of a conversation change when I mentioned that I'm by and I'm on a date with someone like things just get a bit icier. You can feel like, Oh, something in the air changed or, uh, weird questions about how I've slept with men, you know, what, what I like to do and, and what my type is. And like, it's, it's not inherently a problem to ask these questions. It's just, they're always asked in a way that feels loaded or feels vaguely pointed, not genuinely curious, but like they're trying to figure out how gay I am, <laughs> which, you know, it, it's, I get, you might want to know that from a potential partner, but it doesn't make me feel any better. And like, it's just, I'm on a date with you. Clearly, I clearly I'm not into men so much that I won't date you. So for most purposes, this shouldn't really matter. And it's not like you said, it's very different from the way that uh, by women experience biophobia. It's uh, I mean, I can't speak to your experience, but mostly it's a lot of, you know, just a phase you're doing it to please men or yeah, you're secretly gay. Uh, I've gotten secretly gay before um, once or twice. It's pretty rare that anyone is that uh, blatant, mostly because, you know, for all the for all the biphobia I tend to get, I'm still a big guy and I'm still like in a position of power over women. So they're not going to like outwardly piss me off, uh, mm-hmm. even though they should. I'm very fun to piss off. I I think I'm I think I take being uh, being teased very well uh, and I like being shit talked either way. But yeah, it, it comes in a lot of weird, subtle forms. And it's I wouldn't even call it pervasive in the sense that it's on every in the sense that it's from every woman I talk to most people are fine with it now but because we remember those negative associations so strongly they are what stick harder than the for like the one in ten times that that's happened or the one in five times that that's happened you're gonna remember that time not not the nine or four times that people had a perfectly innocent or positive association with it so yeah it, it sticks with you and it sucks but it's uh and yeah, it's it's not on the same level as uh, you know being murdered because you're gay, obviously. But it's it's just it's a different kind of subtle uh, subtle discrimination, mm-hmm. and it sucks. Absolutely. Well, and and having at those assumptions thrown at you, whether it's through microaggressions or more overt, is something that is hard because you have to do your own work of 
you know, feeling like you need to legitimize who you are, being like bisexuality is a real sexual orientation. My identity and space in the world is is valid and real and it's not I'm confused or a phase or like you said. And I think th- the other thing that it was really important that you touched on was the sexual acts that we take part in doesn't decide how gay or straight or however we identify like that's not a part of it that's who we identify what we actually do sexually is a totally different thing like you can identify as bisexual and have never had sex with anyone it's still valid yeah totally and hey bully to you it's it is a yeah the thing that should matter to your and i've heard different people make the argument that uh your intimate partner should know your sexuality i'm not entirely sure where i stand on that I think the explicit relevance of your partner's sexuality stops with you. As long as they're being honest about being attracted to you, you don't need to know anymore. I don't, at the same time, whether you need to know something and whether your partner should know it, it's a very different question. I don't think it speaks super well of a relationship if you refuse to disclose any more aspects of your sexuality, because I think it just betrays a lack of comfort or communication skills, but that's a different question than whether they need to know that either way. I go back and forth on that, but yeah, for most intents and purposes, like if, if you're out on a date with someone who is bi, you're on a date with someone with queer pan, whatever, you could be pretty confident that they are actually attracted to you. Not always, but most of the time. And like they, they, they swipe, right. They kept messaging you. They got your phone number. They're probably into you. You don't need to worry about anything more than that. If it gets, if the relationship progresses more and you want to have that talk and they're comfortable having that talk, all the usual stuff, go ahead. But for, for the immediate situation, your, your interest in their sexuality should probably stop there. Mm, interesting. In I, my mind. Yeah, no, I think that's a very a valid perspective because like you said, like, you know, for myself as a sexual health educator, I'm like, I think it's really important for us to know in terms of like our health status, like, you don't have to tell me how many people you've slept with. It doesn't matter to me. Have you gotten tested for STIs? Like, what's the deal? Just so we know we're all on the same page health-wise. But then I also think that when we think of our sex lives, when we're in a partnership or in a relationship, we think this is our sex life, me and my partner or partners or whichever. I'm like, well, you as an individual have your own sex life, right? And I feel like we forget that very often, that we have our own autonomy and our own sex life. That's just us and doesn't have to always be in partnership. Yeah, exactly. And, and like on the, on the SDI front, like I've, I don't think I've ever been asked, uh, I don't think I've ever had it insinuated to me that I'm at greater risk for sexual disease because I'm male. I will just point out that there is a way to ask those questions in a way that doesn't make your partner feel shitty. Like there is a, like, cause I know by men have had that shit happen to them before and I'm, I'm, a hundred percent certain that, uh, well, no, I, I have not looked at the statistics. I would not be terribly surprised if there is a greater incidence of, uh, sexually transmitted infections in the gay and bi men community. I would, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised, but you can ask that question just by asking, have you been tested for STIs? Just say what you want to say. There is no need to attach that to the greater baggage of you told me you're bi or gay. So I'm going to assume that there is a higher risk of this. Just all you need to know is whether they've been tested and whether they have safe sex with other partners. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a really good good point there. Okay, so humor me, if you will, for a moment. So my my background is in theater, so a lot of it, so I do theater and sexual health. And so I, if I can, I love to do like a little bit of role play, just a little bit. Oh, boy. Okay. And then... <laughs> 
<laughs> this will absolutely be podcast friendly, right? Prepare yourself. What I'm wondering is because I I love getting into like the abstract and thinking about these larger issues, but then I want to give people some practical advice because some people like just they're like, how do I even start this conversation? How do I say this? And they need examples. So let's say we're on a date and you tell me that you're bi. What would you love? What would you just like tickle you if that was the response that I that somebody said? With me, okay. With me personally, <laughs> I would love if you like just said that's fucking great, and then jumped into it like either a different conversation about like, oh, my other friend is by and he thinks this, and like or some or some dumb like excited stereotype uh not stereotype uh but some dumb excited like story of other folks who were by or an experience you once had or asking me about like uh what do you think of how you're treated or like oh that must suck for you or oh this is great for you well then no like just something that shows me you are actually engaged with my sexuality like that you actually just give a shit and like that it's it doesn't have to be a core aspect of my personality because it's not. This is something we all have. And I don't think anyone should base a core aspect of their personality around who they like fucking. It's just not, it makes you less interesting in my, in my view, <laughs> but something that shows me that you like care about me enough as a person to want to be engaged and understand me um, and to relate to me. And it's okay. If you fuck up, it's okay. If you say something that's accidentally like a bit weird, what I look for in people is the energy with which they are approaching a conversation and the, and the, and the motive with which they are questioning. It's one thing to like, to just say something dumb accidentally and that's vaguely offensive, but you're, you're, you're doing it in the pursuit of like, I want to know you. I want to understand how you work. It's another to like, just like slowly question and back away while you eye the door. We can pick that up. Like men aren't great at reading signals, but we get that one. And and by men get that one, I think, because we deal with it and we've and we've probably felt it before. So yeah, what I what I would want if just for on a date with anyone is just be engaged and be interested in me as a person. And like, sure, my bias is a part of that. It's not the only part, but if you're gonna focus on that, just approach it with an urge to like, I wanna understand you. I wanna see, like, I wanna know your stories. I wanna know uh like if you've been if you've like suffered shitty stuff in the past, like how how it made you feel and empathize with that or sympathize with that what uh, what things you love about it or just like joke around with it it's it's a it's an element of a human person and i just want to feel like you're engaged as a human absolutely so engage you as a human and not like focusing on that part of your identity only as you said cool to have questions cuz obviously and especially if that's not your identity or if you don't have a you know know a lot of folks who are bi obviously we're all going to be different it's not like you know one bi person you're like cool i'm just like down with the bi community now i know them all um yeah just having that engagement in it maybe that's just more of a question of like how do you go on a on a good date well you ask questions that are engaged with the person you're on the date with yeah well that's the thing like the, the questions are interlinked and this is something that i've i i can't speak for lesbian women or trans people or whatever but the overall sense is is not dissimilar in that we just want to be treated as people. Like this is for most of us, this is just a thing that that we're we live with. It's just part of who we are. It's how much gravity we put on it varies, but it is it is an element of who we are, and we want it to be treated no different than any other part of who we are. 
ask with the same enthusiasm that you would ask, uh, not about my job. My job isn't that interesting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That you would ask about any other thing. It's just a part of who I am. And and that happens to also be just a fundamental aspect of, of good communication is just treating other people like humans and, and being interested in their struggles and victories and, and this, that, and the other thing. Oh, that's so great. Two things. First thing, thank you so much for your time because I totally like messaged you out of the blue and was like trying to be like super cool and not fangirl. I was like, yo, Marcus, I'm like super chill. You should totally come on my podcast and talk to me. There are several <laughs> levels of academic accomplishment above me. I should be the one who is deferring to you here. <laughs> And also you made it in theater. I did not. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. Just transferred that into sexual health education. We'll we'll talk people who are listening have been around for a while, they know a bit of that that story. But I wonder if there's the last thing, is there anything else that you like want to leave people with? Like, say if someone is um questioning their sexual identity, they're like, am I bi? Am I not? Or I don't know, not that you can like distill your like wisdom and experience into like one digestible soundbite, but like, what would you want people to know leaving this conversation? It's a bit of what I said earlier in that listen to other people as much as or, or as little as you want. Ultimately, they don't really matter. It's your choice. You don't have to defend it to anyone. Don't overthink it. Do what feels right, because this is very much a feeling conversation. It's how you feel you want to be engaged, how you want to engage with the rest of the world, how you want the rest of the world to engage with you. Um, and if you don't feel like, if you don't feel like taking someone's advice, even if they're smarter or more experienced than you, this is one area where I'll say you don't fucking have to. This isn't a uh, academically, you know, this isn't statistics. This isn't something where you should defer to expertise. It is your struggle. It is your identity. You are the first and last word and how much you want to listen to anyone else is entirely your decision. There isn't a wrong decision. It's up to you. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. See, listeners, you don't even have to defer to me. I don't know. I'm I'm the only the expert in my own experience. I'm just here to bring you good people who can share their experiences. So I really appreciate it. Accept a like, share and subscribe. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I appreciate being here. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's, It's wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. On the next episode of the podcast, we're talking all things birth control and what resources are out there to help you make an informed decision. And if you have a question for the show, send me a voice memo to the love doctor podcast at gmail.com or send a voice message to me on Instagram at dr.leahtivey. And even if you don't send in a question, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And hey, if you like what you're hearing, leave a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.